off the context and considering how a particular word was used in these other two Bible verses. And he gave me his question and I found myself sitting there looking at the problem and the problem is if I was trying to define or get rightly interpret one Bible verse, I wouldn't look at just two others to try and rightly interpret that one. You've got to take in the whole counsel of God. So uh, you, can't just, you can't just find, take the one verse and then just use a couple of other places to get your bearings on. You've got to, you've got to get your bearings across the whole counsel of God and take into the, the, the full counsel of what God has. And so we're trying to move slowly uh, and work through uh, the things of prophecy and the things of, uh, of, of the end times, taking in as much as possible the whole counsel of God on the matter, looking at Old Testament, New Testament, uh, biblical interpretation, other prophecies, and just bring them all together step by step. So we've been in 1 Thessalonians, and in 1 Thessalonians, particularly chapter 2, we, we found that it was structured in this chronological order. That there is he that withholdeth, and when he that withholdeth is taken out of the way, the man of sin will be revealed, and that man of sin will then at some stage uh, take his seat and become the abomination of desolation that's spoken of, of Daniel, by Daniel. And that's why we need to look at Daniel, because when you read 1 Thessalonians in Matthew 24 we get a reference back to these Old Testament prophecies. And, and Christ is coming back to rule and reign for a thousand years, but he's not coming back until the man of sin has been revealed. And he, the man of sin isn't been revealed until he that withholdeth is taken out of the way. And he that withholdeth the power of the devil is the Holy Spirit. It is God that resists the devil and his abode is with us. And we see then the rapture of the church and the taking out of the Holy Spirit by the rapture of the church, that then the man of sin is able to step in. So we see that, that order there, right? And we took the time just to, just to go through that passage, right? to get that chronological order of how it's laid out. Well, what's the next thing? We looked at that. So, so this gave us, first, uh, first and Second Thessalonians gave us, another, and a number of other passages, gave us some foundational work on what would be termed the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Having laid that foundation, what would be the next event, the next thing after the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, what would be the next thing on God's prophetic calendar? What was that? The tribulation. If we've just looked at the pre-tribulation, the next thing would be the tribulation. That was originally when Shane and I laid out the lesson plan, that was the next place we were going to go, from the rapture to the tribulation. But as I sat there looking at the rapture, and particularly with um, current events, I realized we'd missed something, or I think we'd missed something. So we made some adjustments. Matthew 24, you there? All right, let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to uh, try and do the same thing with this passage of Scripture. Matthew 24. Uh, we've got a lengthy passage here, so we're just going to pray first and then we'll just work through it. Um, so let's, let's go to the Lord. Our Lord and King, we do thank you and praise you for your love and care. I thank you for your mercy towards us. And uh, dear Lord, I, I just ask that as we, uh, 
as we look to, to rightly divide your word, as we look to understand the things that you've said that must be hereafter, I pray, Lord, you'd help us to see the, the truth. I ask, my Lord, you'd help us see the importance of these things you've revealed to us. But, Lord, I also ask you'd help us to see the application in our own lives, uh, how, Lord, we would take these truths and apply them to, to our lives that we might live a life that is uh, more pleasing to you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, Matthew 24, verse 1, the Bible says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. It's an odd verse, isn't it? It's like a tourist trip. He's come out of the temple. Uh, now the disciples are there with him wanting to point out and boast on the temple. And look at how wonderful it is and how amazing it is. And, you know, it's the sort of thing. I often read it and go, <sighs> I was down in Brisbane the other day. Someone asked me where I was from. And uh, I sit up in Gladstone. And she said, oh, oh do you get out to Heron Island? And I said, I said, no, I live there. I don't go to, uh, don't go to the tourist attractions that are in my local area. You, know, you, you just don't do it. You know? If you're going on a holiday, you, you go to the tourist attractions in someone else's local area. You're not in your own local area. Um, so you go and see something else. Well, here, I mean, Jesus had been around Jerusalem. This isn't his first trip in Jerusalem. This isn't his first time around the temple. But he steps out of it. He walks out of there. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And maybe they wanted to show him the outside. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I think it does show it does show the national pride in the temple. It shows it shows that it was something important to them. That even to them that were familiar with it, they were struck by it each time they walked in and out. And when you talk, when you read up about the temple, when you read of when you read of uh, when you read of, of Solomon's temple, once it was destroyed and, uh, and Ezra re rebuilt it, after that second building of the temple, the old fellas cried about how much it wasn't like the first one and the young fellas rejoiced at his, this great thing that they'd made. You know? And you see this, you see this uh, emotional attachment to this temple. It's quite natural in human nature, particularly given what it was, but also just in the pride of the nation. And here Israel is and the disciples weren't, weren't separate from it. And they were talking about how great and important this temple was and the wonders of it. And they pointed it to Christ. And Jesus said unto them, see you not all these things? And he said, yeah, let's look at the temple. Yeah, he said, see you all these things? He said, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. <clears throat> Look at this temple, God. Look at what we've built. Look at where we worship God. And God says, yeah, I'm going to tear it down. It's just, that's, just, going, to, just going to break that one up. That one ain't staying. Um, it obviously caused them some concern. They wandered off. He sat upon the Mount of Olives a little way off. And the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What things? The tearing down of the temple. When shall be these things be, that, that this is going to be destroyed? And they asked further, And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? They put it all together. Well, if the temple's getting torn down, that's our place where we worship God. 
If the temple's getting torn down and, and God's going to have that been torn down, where is it that we're going to worship God? Does that mean you're coming back to establish your kingdom? If you're establishing your kingdom, then what of the ends of the world? You know what they did? They heard, Jesus made one statement and they understood because of them, perhaps their knowledge of the Old Testament, perhaps of their knowledge of, of the things of God, that they went, if that's happening, then these things mustn't be far off. And so they connected the dots and asked their questions. Right? They saw the one occurrence of the tearing down of the temple and they flowed on in their thought to, well, what about the Lord establishing his kingdom? And if we're talking about the Lord establishing his kingdom, what about the end of this world? You know, it's, it's amazing that, that the Bible, for the last 6,000 years that the word of God has been existence, in existence in any of its forms, whether it be the spoken word of God or the written word of God, this world has been spoken of as a temporary place. It's just a, a place that is going to pass away. That was hard for mankind to comprehend, but modern science all looks at this world and this earth and goes, yeah, it ain't going to last forever. It's winding down. It's a temporary place. It's got an end. Everything's slowing down. Uh, the moon's getting further away. The cosmos is spinning slower. Things are measurably winding down. And the Lord makes it plain here. And the disciples understood that it was coming to an end. And it's off the back of that question that Jesus gives this answer. And it's a long answer. Um, he answers from verse... Uh, from The wind's blowing my page shut. His answer, he answers this question from verse 4 right through to chapter 25, verse 46. Uh, he takes a couple of chapters to just expound out this long answer. <clears throat> and we're not going to get through the whole answer. But we are going to take a look at his answer and, and just try and step through the chronology of it. But before we do, as he concludes his answer, go to verse 32. Verse 31 is the end of Jesus' description of when these things, the order of things. And he then steps into some parables and some things, some application, right? What do I do with this prophecy of end times? And this is, this is why I wanted to stop at it, because we've looked at the rapture and we've looked at, well, that's, that's when the church is taken out of here. So what benefit is it for us to know anything else? I mean, if we're not here, what's it matter? What, what, why, why even bother with it? Um, why not just skip through to chapter 19 where the church comes back, all right, and, and go from there? Well, one of the reasons is because God saw fit to tell you. And so for us to go, for us to go, oh, I just don't want to know about that, is to go to God, you might want to tell me, but I don't want to hear uh, that's, a, that's a pretty offensive thing to say, isn't it? Um, what do you think, Benny? you think that's offensive? I really don't want your answer anyway. Uh, like it's just rude, isn't it? Right? <laughs> we don't do that. Um, we find that offensive. Yet that's what, that's what we're effectively saying to God when we go, I don't want to know. We're saying, you might want to tell me, but I don't want to hear. Um, but he, he even more so gives us a reason here. Have a look in verse 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. 
When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that an hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. A parable of a fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. What is, what is, what is the botanical sign that Christmas time is just around the corner in Queensland? Mangoes? Yeah? The jacarandas, that's my one. Jacaranda starts blooming. Start seeing them purple, purple flowers and purple trees. It's like, man, I better get a shopping list together. You know, never mind the first snows. That's not my marker. <laughs> we see it and we go, yeah, it's that time of year. We, we watch it. You, and the purpose of watching it is you know what's around the corner. And the Lord gives us a description of what's around the corner so that we can see it coming in that sense. Not the exact time, not the exact hour, but we can be mindful of the day. And he, he, he doubles down on his rebuke and his, his, the strength of words as he talks to his disciples about the need to know the day and the hour. <coughs> it should not have caught Israel off guard when their Messiah turned up. They should have been able to calculate that out of prophecy. And some of them did. Why do you think the wise men came from the East? Because they read the Bible and they went, hey... It's about that time. It's about that time for the fulfillment of another one of God's promises. They, 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 un, they had some wisdom, some understanding. Simeon and Anna in the temple, how did they get it right? They knew their Bible. And they, they understood the prophecies to come. And so when the things that mattered for them came to pass, they were expectant of it. it didn't, Simeon didn't need to... Uh, he, it was no benefit for him to worry about the... the uh, I guess, the, uh, the crucifixion in that sense, because he wasn't promised to see the Lord's crucifixion, but he was just promised to see the Lord's Christ. He was promised to see the Messiah. But because he was familiar with all the prophecies, he recognized the time when Jesus walked in. And so for us, the Lord gives us a big picture. And take you back, and we mightn't get very far in this. This might take a few Sundays. Let's go back to the, to the first marker. Verse 2. See not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that, ye shall, not, that shall not be thrown down. He's talking about the temple, right? So when was that fulfilled, Grasso? When was verse 2 fulfilled? The destruction of the temple. When, it, when Rome came in and sacked Jerusalem and tore down the temple, right? Go over to the middle of the, uh, of, of, well, not the middle because it's a long chapter. Go over to, uh, where do I need this? Oh, that'd be right. After verse 15, where we go? The abomination of desolation, where's that? 
verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Where's the holy place? Where is it? In the temple, right? It's a, it's a location in the temple. The holy place is a, is a portion of this temple. You see a partial fulfillment of this, and we're getting on to some extra things in biblical teaching. You see a partial fulfillment of this in history where there was a pig slaughtered in the, in the, um, in the, on, the, on the altar and taken into the, into the holy place. And, and there was this, there was this uh, desecration in the, in the temple. But that happened after the temple had been moved to the heart of man. The Holy Ghost indwelling, the Holy Ghost been sent forth and dwelling in the heart of man, right? But you step forward into Revelation and we've been reading passages in Revelation about the abomination of desolation spoken of in Daniel. About how there's, there's some things to come about the Antichrist and him doing that. What's one of the problems with the Antichrist seating himself in the holiest of holies right now? (laughs) There's no temple in Jerusalem, right? So for that to come to pass, there has to be a rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem for, for it to be fulfilled in front of us, right? So if it's going to be fulfilled in front of us, then as I sit here and I hear of disputes and debates over Israel and who should be there, you just go back, go back a hundred years and Israel weren't in the promised land. They were scattered as God has scattered them. But then God brought them back to their land. You go back, you go back a hundred years and it wasn't a matter of, well, you know, for, for the abomination of desolation to take place in the holiest of holies, we need the temple built. Well, first of all, we've got to get, the, the Lord's got to have Israel back in the land. But as long as I've been alive, Israel's been there. And then you start to see pushes and changes in society and in the news, where you start to see the leaves blooming on the tree. But you go, I can see some things coming to pass that are the steps needed for the fulfillment of prophecy. You go to Ezekiel's war. The war in Ezekiel, and we might look at this in weeks ahead, we're not going to go there today, but you look at the war in Ezekiel and start looking at the major players from the north and the south and, and, and all those major players in the war in Ezekiel, and start to then look at who the major players are if the internal conflict in Israel turns into an external conflict with other nations, you start to see the same players that are prophesied about start shuffling in our day. What is that? That's a, that's a blossoming of those leaves. That's, that's the things that we're supposed to be looking for going, hey, there's some things here that we need to be mindful of that we might know the day and the hour that we live in, that we might be mindful of where we are in God's biblical timeline, right? Because there's a fullness of the Gentiles to come in. 
There's a preaching of the gospel to be completed. And there's a work to be done. And as you see the closing of the hour, as you see the lateness of the day, as you see that, hey, and this is why I brought up the jacaranda trees. You go, hey, the year's closing out. We're getting to the end of the year. The jacaranda trees are blooming. It's coming around to, to, to the close of the year. As you start to see these things unfurl and you start to see the signs and the, the, the times, that's for us to, to do some things on. What are we supposed to do as we see the return of Christ draw nigh? What are some of the, some of the things that we are supposed to be particularly attentive to? That's one big one. We're supposed to, as you see, as you see the day come to an end, as you see, as you see the day hastening to the return of Christ, this world coming to its close, even so much more are you to gather together and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's an interesting commandment, given the fact that uh, in Jerusalem, in the early church, there was a church of 3,000 souls. Or more. Metropolitan Tabernacle in its heyday was 3,000 people in London. Uh, <coughs> churches, you drive, you drive through any of the country towns here and you see church after church after church that's been shut down and turned into a cafe, a house. Uh, why? Because people have forsaken the gathering of ourselves together. The church doesn't gather together anymore much less even the church's existence is, is getting smaller in its number in that sense as, as we get closer to the end of the day. And the Lord says, as you see that day approaching, there's some things I expect you to do as my children. So part of the reason of watching, part of the reason for this isn't just so that you can win your argument with your next disagreeing brother in Christ where you see things a little differently. Much more importantly, it's so you can say, okay, well, if that's where we're at, what does God expect out of me? Then I better put that into practice in my life. You can look at it and go, now I know what God expects from me and I can do it. Which is really why he's given us his word, isn't it? It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Why do you need a light to your path? So you know where to walk. So you can walk the right way. And that's what the word of God is for us. So Matthew 24, that's why, we're, that's why we're on this. And that's why we've come back. Okay, we looked at the rapture, but what, what do we do with that? We drop back and we go, okay, let's, let's on this side of the rapture look at, at the signs of the times and, and, and the signs of what might come to pass so that we are aware and, and in a mindset of readiness. In verse 2, See not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall be not left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Then they ask their question, What shall be these things? What shall these things be? When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, We're going to take verse 4 to verse 6, alright? Verse 4 to verse 6. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear wars, hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 4 to 6, the Lord tells them some things they'll see, and he makes this statement, but the end is not yet. Let's work through the list of 
what will be seen in those verses. What do we got? Deception. Deception. You see lies and error, lack of truth. That's been around forever and a day. What else do you get? What else is in that list? False Christs. There's one down Kingaroy, if you want. Just duck down Kingaroy. Jesus is down there, apparently. Got himself a little block. Ah, oh, look. You know, last I heard. <laughs> I mean, you don't even have to get outside the state. Right? Just drop down to the South Burnett, that's all. And uh, you can find yourself someone claiming to be Jesus. And the world has been full of it. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Not just, not just people that say it, but people that leave, lead people away and lead people to follow a false Christ. And you see many of those atrocities. What else we got in verse 6? Wars and rumours of wars. I'll try and find the link for it. There's a little video on YouTube. Somebody's taken a map of the world and they've taken the time to just put a little, it's just a little explosion and a date beside every major battle throughout history. And you should watch that thing increase across the world as it goes from the turn of the century, because it goes from like, uh, it's, it doesn't quite start with the days of Christ, but maybe somewhere, somewhere like a, um, a late Roman Empire sort of after Christ is about where it starts. And the battles just explode into World War One, World War Two, where it's just, wars and rumours of wars all over the world. And that's the day and age we live in. War is just a normal thing for us. Uh, it's just a, a status of the world. There's fi- you look up the stats of how many days there has, of peace there has been where there hasn't been an armed conflict on the world in the last hundred years. Those figures are available and the, the, the stats are, are phenomenally small on how many days of world peace there has been. And that's just on recorded battles and battles of nations. That's nothing to do with the strife on personal levels and uh, between uh, uh, other warring factions that aren't, aren't political. So, you shall hear of wars and rumours of wars. There'll be false Christs that will deceive many. These things must must come to pass, but the end is not yet. These things must come to pass, and how should we be about it? Not troubled. Have you seen, have you found yourself, have you come across Christians where the problems in the world trouble them? And it becomes their focus. And the Lord says, be not troubled. Don't be troubled with the deception. Don't be troubled with the false Christs. Don't be troubled with the lies. Don't be troubled with the wars and the rumours of the wars. Be not troubled. Be careful with God's word. It doesn't say don't care. It says be not troubled. Don't let it unsettle you. These things must come to pass. You step into a day and time, a day full of of this deception and this trouble. So let's read verse 7 and 8. 7 and 8 tells us, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places. 
All these things, all these are the beginning of sorrows. What are what are the things that are listed are the, that are the beginning of sorrows? So we're trying to get a little bit of a chronological take on how things go through here. But we're coming at this with some prior learning, right? We've got some Bible knowledge that we've picked up along the way. Um, these, these, uh, these earthquakes, these famines, this pestilence, do they remind you of any other passage of Scripture as we get towards the last days? If you, tribulation. tribulation, particularly if you think about the four horsemen that come about in the tribulation and the, those things that they bring through, the famines. Remember, there's the the there's, uh, the, the the horsemen with the with the scales and the, the high price of food. That you you see these things come to pass. That you see these things spoken of as you start to step into Revelation and those seals getting broken. So how, what do we do when we're, when we're reading the Bible? We're reading Matthew. We're trying to make sense of it. But we've got all these other passages of scriptures running around in our mind. Do we whack it in there now? We go, there we go. That's the four horsemen. I've just figured out. I've just figured out Revelation. <laughs> right? You, you, what, you, what you want to do, what you want to do is just go, I need to have a look at that as I study this out, because there's some similarities there. But the first thing we want to do is get a head around what Jesus is saying first, right? What we first want to do is go, let's not get sidetracked because we've found something interesting. And look, um, today they call it HDD or ADHD. Um, my teachers never gave me that sort of a nicer abbreviation, right? <laughs> They just, pay attention, stop looking out the window. <laughs> Back on your maths. I'd get distracted. I'm, I'm so like, I remember my sister found me a shirt or something. You see it as a meme now. It was a t-shirt in my day, a baseball cap. And, and she, she showed it to me and it's like middle, middle of a sentence. You know, she's like, I, I, I don't easily get to, oh, look, a butterfly. <laughs> you know, that's me, just derail me. And we want to be careful not to do that as we're doing our Bible study. We want to be careful to go, okay, yes, I'm going to get over there, but let's do this first. Like Revelation, what was the first thing we did with Revelation? Before we even tried to understand it, we just went, okay, what, what, what were the things he saw? Did a lesson on what did he see? Don't try and apply it. Don't try and just, just try and know it. First off, just know it. You know what the first thing you do for you teach a kid how to read and write? What's the first step of teaching them how to read and write? The alphabet. Do you bother telling them how to put it to use or do you just bother teaching them what it is first, right? The first thing you've got to get them familiar with is ABC. Learn your letters. Once you've learned your letters, then you can learn which ones are vowels and which ones are consonants and, and all the rules that don't matter when you get further on in English, right? <laughs> the beginning of sorrows. He lists out what it is. 
And we can, we can look at those. Go on to verse, verse 9. We'll take a longer passage. 9 through to verse 14. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. See that word then? We've got a chronological order, right? The, 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 we've got the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and sh- ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many pro- false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Man, there's, there's a bit there, isn't it? It makes the statement at the very close there, then shall the end come. So see what we've done? We've, we've, taken, we've taken the things, but the end is not yet. Then we've taken where the beginning of sorrows is. Then shall the end come. Right? And so, so we can list off the things that are the beginning of sorrows. And we can look at what they are. And then, then we can break it up and go, okay, well, after the beginning of sorrows... There's this other list. What's in that other list? Have a look at it. Give me the things that are in this other list. Verse 9 through to verse 14. Yep. Just try and go quick. We won't stop on each one and we won't worry if we miss some. We won't try and be... If In your own personal studies, you want to be very careful, right, that you don't miss any. But just to get the idea of what we're doing this morning, just run through the list. What else we got? They'd kill you? Sorry, I can't hear Offended? Hated, yep, yep. Yep, betrayal. There we go. Wherever, what verse are we up to now? Verse 11, beauty. You see how you can just, like you could, you could bullet point, couldn't you? You could just, you could get yourself a list and you could just bullet point. And you catch the thens, the thens, the thens matter. It, it, it's going, this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen. Like, it's, it's running through. It's the, the, the end is not yet. We've got the beginning of sorrows. Then we've got all these things. Then shall the end come, right? So let's, let's you've, got to, you've got to lay all that out. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Endure unto the end. Now, now here's, some, and here's, what's, here's some things. You want to make some notes off to the side, right? Catch, catch verse... Oh, that, that phrase, endure unto the end. They're, in Revelation, you hear some... You get some phrases there where they've got to, they've got to endure unto the end for salvation. And people go to those, those verses to go... You've got to hold on to your own salvation. If you, you can lose your salvation because, because of these verses where the, the Lord says to endure. When you look at endurance of the saints in our time, in the dispensation of grace, and that's not a Baptist phrase, dispensation, that's a biblical phrase, the dispensation of grace. That dispensation, the Bible does talk about enduring. It does talk about those that have the victory. It talks about those that are triumphant. And our triumphant is Christ, right? 
It's all attached back to what Christ does. But there's another dispensation, another time frame, another stewardship whereby God works. And in that, you find some phrases like this one, enduring unto the end, shall be saved. And you gotta, you're reading it in Matthew, but he's not talking about Matthew's day, is he? He's talking about a day to come. And so you've got to put it in context and go, how do I apply that verse? And you bring it into, if you bring it into how a disciple is supposed to be saved, which is not what Jesus is talking about, then they've got to endure. And if they don't endure, they'll be lost. And therefore, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of controversy because people aren't rightly dividing. They're not cutting in the right spot. <clears throat> Have a look also, what, what's, that, what's going to happen with the gospel? Okay, whose job is that? Who's, who's? The saved? Who else preaches the gospel? The apostles preach the gospel. We're talking saved people, right? So who else preaches the gospel? The Holy Spirit? Yeah, convict men of all truth. But who preaches it in this world? Didn't we read in Revelation that John saw an angel proclaiming the everlasting gospel across the heavens? Haven't you read that passage in Revelation? That there's coming a day where there'll be an angel that, that proclaims the gospel. See, we go, and this is why I say we want to we want to slow down from we want to slow down from going. Oh, we want to we want to apply that. We want to understand. We want to we want to explain that straight away. I mean, we just want to get to listening to what Jesus is saying, right? And then take the whole counsel because the the preaching of the gospel to all the world that can apply two ways. It can apply to you and me and our responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? But if there's an angel that's also going to do that in days to come, then which one is this talking about? Do you know? I'm not saying it can't be known. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's too hard to know. I'm not saying that you don't have the right answer or I don't have the right answer. I'm saying let's just slow down and let's just go through the chapter and go, okay, what has Jesus said? Let's get our bullet points laid out, right? So we can know what Jesus said. And as we know what Christ said, then, then we, can, we can take some whole counsel and get it rightly divided. That's my whole point in just, in just stepping through this. So next, verse 15 to verse 28. We'll take a big chunk, 15 to 28. That is entirely the wrong chapter. Here we go. When you, there, when you therefore... Oh, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Let me ask you something. Verse 15. Does it say that this happens next? It's not then, is it? It's when. It's when you see it. We don't... Verse 15, you've got to be careful. We've been reading, and each step we've just been in the habit, oh, there was this, there was this, there was this, and this, or here, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and when, and when, and when, and when, and we just move them on, and we lay them out in chronological order, and we don't pay any attention that halfway through, God stopped saying then, and said when. And because it rhymes, we miss it. It sounds the same, and we're not paying attention, and we're not being particular. And you know the jots and the tittles? 
There might just be a comma there that is the very difference between the first coming of Christ when he came to seek and to save that which is lost and the second coming of Christ when he comes to rule and reign with an iron fist. And all there is in Isaiah 61 too is just a comma. How much more when the Lord, as he's speaking to his disciples, he doesn't say then, he says when. Right? When you shall see this. When therefore you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. I brought this up. All right, let me finish this first. Let me see, I'm doing it. I got distracted, right? I got distracted. Verse, through to verse 28. Then let him which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that at your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should, not, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, what did I say to read to? Verse 28. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Every now and then, the Bible gets a little bit dark, right? That last verse, where the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. On the, on the Battle of Armageddon, at the very close of Revelation, we get to there, there there's, as Jesus is coming back, there's an angel comes down and he talks to something. Do you remember what he talks to? Yeah, the birds of prey. Uh, last, I, last I read, that was an eagle, right? He calls the birds of prey to gather unto the battle and feast on the bones of kings and, and men, right? But you've got the disciples. They've just been in the temple talking to Jesus about the amazing of it. They've walked up on the Mount of Olives. He's made a statement there before they went up, but it's going to be all dragged down. And that day where you see that come to pass, and you see the abomination of desolation sitting in the holy place, and you see the eagles gather where the carcasses are, I tell you what, if any of them boys were alive for 70 years' time and looked at Israel sacked, they would have remembered these verses and gone, man, there's something there. There's something there. But when we look at the horrors of World War II and we go, no, the suffering of World War II was much greater across the world than the suffering of one city of Jerusalem at that time. Even when you talk of God's people, the suffering was greater. And so you see this partial fulfillment in history but it doesn't fit everything in the, in the scriptures there. 
We're out of time. We'll come back to this. But as I close it off, if Israel had have accepted Christ as the Messiah, who would, what, what prophecy would John the Baptist have fulfilled? He would have been the forerunner of Isaiah before the day of Christ. But Israel didn't accept him. And God said that he, he's not the fulfillment of it. Isaiah is yet to come because he didn't accept your Messiah. And so you saw a partial fulfillment. And so what we're doing is we're trying to understand the word of God when we get to prophecy, not in a different way than how we handle the rest of the word of God or how we understand every other passage of scripture. We're trying to handle it the same. And when we look at other prophecies and other fulfillments, we see that God had, a, had a, a foreshadow that if mankind was obedient and Israel got saved, it all would have been fulfilled. But it was only a partial fulfillment for that full fulfillment that yet is to come because of disobedience. So as we read through Matthew 24 and as we work on it, you can see we're going slow because there's, there's a need to rightly divide the Word of God that we might put it into practice in our lives, all right? Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you. I ask you to help us, uh, be with us as we continue our studies on these things of the end times and the things which must be hereafter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.